0: And it was a matter of, could we execute on that good idea? Thankfully, we have executed very well over the years, continue to grow the business. Today, we have invested $4 billion yeah. of equity. On this episode, I talked with Darren Powderly,
1: co-founder of CrowdStreet. I had a chance to work with Darren a few years ago when he first came up with the idea. And now the company is one of the leaders in the field of commercial real estate crowdfunding with more than $4 billion in investment transactions. I think you'll enjoy hearing about Darren's journey from having an early idea to being a market leader. I'm Brent Waters. I've been in Silicon Valley my entire life, immersed in the world of entrepreneurship, innovation, and venture capital. I run a startup accelerator program named Fourthly. This is the Fourthly Podcast.
0: Hey, Darren. Thanks for joining today. Brett, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So where are you joining me from? I am in Bend, Oregon, where I started CrowdStreet.
1: Central Oregon. Yes. It's a sweet spot. I've been there. First of all, introduce yourself
0: and your own background, and then tell us uh, how CrowdStreet came to be. Sure. Again, Darren Powderly. I founded CrowdStreet in 2012. Uh, fortunate enough to have a co-founder that joined me shortly thereafter, so I'm technically co-founder. And um, I started Crowdstreet after um, born of Brooklyn, raised in Jersey, educated at the <laughs> University of Colorado. Nice. Luckily graduated uh, Boulder and moved to San Francisco in 1998. Great time. to show up in, in the Bay Area and yeah. earned five years of, of uh, you know, wor- worked in the technology industry, e-commerce and software, internet software for five years. And it was the best of times. And then it was the worst of time. <laughs> <laughs> I lived. Yes, I lived through those years. Epic <clears throat> journey yep. right out of yep. school. An incredible learning experience, both on the upside and and as well as the downside. So, uh, and then I entered the the real estate business. I I got into commercial real estate in two thousand three, and I spent a decade uh, in the commercial real estate uh, industry. And I, I guess there's something to that, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, you know, theory of ten years of experience before you become an expert. Uh, right. It certainly applied for me, I think, and um, came up with CrowdStreet in 2012 after the Great Financial Crisis, and really blending my experiences in my career. Um, and I, by the way, I mentioned I should, should have mentioned I started my first business while I was at the University of Colorado uh that you know went on to 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 continue after i graduated i handed the reins down to some other students at the time mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i had that entrepreneurial dna and so i started crowd Street as as my my career experiences all sort of converged uh between technology and commercial real estate investment uh, after the jobs act was passed which was an act of congress and led to the idea in which and we should say
1: that the jobs act is really weird branding because it had nothing specifically to do with the jobs it stood for a jumpstart our businesses, I think. That's that right.
0: Correct? Yeah. That's right. So a little yeah. history lesson is that um, the economy was in tatters. Big corporations were not hiring. The unemployment rate was very high post great financial crisis. And so a group right. of entrepreneurs got together and said, well, we should create a, an exemption to uh, have entrepreneurs raise capital from individuals. And, and now that we have something called the internet and that works yeah. so well, they could actually use these online portals uh, to raise capital, but they'll need to be able to advertise the fact that they're raising capital. And that was actually uh, not permitted uh, for about 80 years. So the first time in 80 years that right. they permitted general solicitation and advertising of private placements. Uh, and it was all intended to help, um, you know, get money into entrepreneurs' hands. It was a great time to be an entrepreneur uh, because there was so much entrepreneurial activity at that time. That's when Good. stars and Y Combinator and all this... Uh, incubators right. were just blo- blooming at that time, so it was very fun, and that is what uh, sparked the idea for CrowdStreet. We applied the um, the core principles of the Jobs Act into investment real estate, mm-hmm. and and that's that was where you know we started. So I mean, I remember you know the early days of crowdfunding with
1: uh, you know Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and everybody thought it was really cool, and then uh-huh. people were trying to figure out. You know what other kinds of asset classes could uh, could harness this notion of uh, of crowdfunding. And I guess for you, since you'd already been in the commercial real estate business for a while, I guess it's kind of just obvious to you that um, that this was a sector that could leverage something like crowdfunding. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I have to spread the uh, the the credit around a little bit. um i was I was doing some I, I was in commercial real estate for a decade. And I was doing the typical things, leasing buildings and selling buildings and uh, representing buyers and sellers, representing banks who had bad loans on their balance sheets that they need to get rid of. Yeah, especially and especially in 2008, 2009. There was a ton of that. <laughs> a lot of that. So, you yeah, know, as you get older, you live through different cycles. And, and right. I went through the, the GFC dot-com bomb. And, right. and, I'm sorry, the, the, the dot-com bomb in, in 2001, that was my first hard lesson. And then the GFC in 2008 through right. 11ish, and right. so yeah, there was there was a lot of activity there. So, um, what what um, what really you know led to this idea is I was also buying properties on my own account. Uh, we were developing properties on my own account, so I was okay. a developer, a small one, but uh, a developer. And I, I started syndicating money, so I was raising money from friends and family. Uh, to to do this investment activities and people were excited about it. They were, they were following me into these deals and we did some good deals. And then, you know, when when the Jobs Act, when I was alerted to it, I was actually alerted to it by a lawyer friend of mine, a guy named Gene Schroberge in LA. Uh, he taught a class on real estate syndication. And he basically just said, you know, kind of casually, hey, there's this Jobs Act thing. And it, you know, gosh, I don't know why it wouldn't apply to investment real estate. And it was just like this light bulb just got triggered. I remember quoting like, I was a Nike moment. My friend and business partner at the time, Dino Vendetti, he was like, hey, I think there's something here. And I was like, let's do it. Let's do it. I stayed up till two o'clock in the morning that day in mid April, 2012, just, I was registering domain names. About time. <laughs> That's where it
1: starts, registering a whole bunch of domain
0: names. I was so <laughs> immature, but you know, I did that. I spent a couple hundred dollars on domain names. <laughs> yep, yep, I've been there. Yep, and and we definitely believed that uh, it was a good idea for individual investors to be able to access the, the real estate investment class. And, and when I say real estate, I'm talking about commercial real estate. Mm-hmm sometimes classified as investment real estate, yeah, the right. acquisition and ownership of real estate for the purpose of, of return on investment, right? That's that's the whole classification of, of real estate. So it's not mm-hmm. your single family home or primary right. residence, we don't do that. Right. And uh, we just believe that it was actually a good thing for the fabric of, of our economies to provide access for so more people could participate in this asset class. Mm-hmm. And because we had benefited from it or I had benefited already, and i knew that man it would be great if more people could include this i don't know in their savings or their their 401k to retirement plans you know that is the future and and i just knew it would happen i just knew it was going to happen and so it was like hey gosh if not you know if not me somebody's going to do it so let's uh, and again it was just a passion moment it was just so full of passion i just was so excited about it awesome yeah so fast forward to today tell us crowd street today Sure. Well, that was uh, the the moment of conception was over ten years ago now, and we're coming up on eleven years this April. And um, it took us about two years to uh, incubate the company. uh, Right, you know, finish up the business plan. We did go through an accelerator program similar to like TechStars or Y Combinator. It It was run run by Dino Vendetti and and Brett. You were involved with that, of course. I was right. Um, So I won't tell the the super long story. I'll take the abbreviated version. But uh, for those listeners, Brett was uh, one of the early, uh, very important partners in, in CrowdStreet, helping us develop our first MVP with his firm, Tivix. And uh, that was in part due to this accelerator program that we were both participating in. So that was like a wonderful thing. And uh, along the way, a lot of doors open like that. Like maybe we, we, we open the right doors, but then a lot of doors just open for us. And so some of the success in entrepreneurship is is going for it and, and other successes sometimes, like if, you're, if it's the right thing, timing is right, and you know, the doors open for you sometimes as you approach them. Yep. Yeah, it's just like, it's amazing. And and a lot of times that happened to us over the years. And so, you know, I'll just kind of shoot all the way forward and we can go backtrack if we want to. But we did launch uh, two years after we conceived of the idea. We launched commercially in April 2014. Uh, we had our first customer. Uh, we had an MVP website. Thank you, Tivex and Brett. And uh, and we got it out there and and, and it was very manual though, the see, whole process, raising see, see. capital from individual investors to invest in this one single real estate deal in Bloomington, Indiana, but it worked. And and then we did it, you know, got more times and we raised a couple of million dollars the first full year we were in business for real estate. Well, I'm happy to report that it really has taken off this concept, it was a good idea. And it was a matter of, could we execute on that good idea? And um, thankfully, we have executed very well over the years. Continue to grow the business. Today, we have invested four billion dollars. Four billion dollars—that's a large yeah, number. Four billion dollars yeah. of equity, and and that comes in individual checks. Mm-hmm. Fifty thousand dollars is the average check size, mm-hmm. and so we have tens of thousands of investment positions uh, in order to make up that four billion dollars. And it's all invested across about it, it's it's been invested across about 750 different real estate deals, mostly single assets so like a building we provided equity for that was raised via the CrowdStreet investment platform from these individual investors. Yeah. We also do some funds, and and we do we have our own we have our own family of funds now as well. Uh, so that four billion dollars has been spread out across about 750 deals and offerings. We've sold about 150 of those as well over the years.
1: And yet, so the idea is that anybody anybody can uh, uh, go on to CrowdStreet.com and invest in commercial real estate, right? Almost ed- anybody. Almost anybody. Okay. What are, what, ed- what are the criteria?
0: Yes. So, so we're on this journey, you know, to, to open up access to, mm-hmm. you know, all, all investors okay. and the regulatory environment have required us in the beginning of the, the, the business to offer to accredited investors only. Right. And, and that's basically, let's just summarize that as wealthy, um, investors and savvy investors, right? Those who are experienced investors and have, 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 um, some capital to invest and, and to risk, right? It's about risk. Mm -hmm. So the SEC deems it like if, if you have a certain amount of net worth, then you can take this risk in these private placement offerings, right? Mm -hmm. They try to protect people from losing money, which is generally a good thing, of course. Um, and so we do make our, our platform available to accredited investors. Uh, we also service registered investment advisors or financial advisors, that's a big part of the business today, um, and a big part of our future growth. Because what we found is that these individual investors, many of them have their own financial advisors, right. and they want us to incorporate this conversation about how they can build wealth, you know, with their their financial advisor as well. Um, and plugging in real estate into a portfolio of stocks and bonds is a is a is a not that complicated, but it takes some expertise. So. We, we work with individual accredited investors, registered investment advisors, uh, and those are our primary audiences today. But on our journey, Brett, someday, we'd like to open it up to, to more people. Call it, you know, the middle class is is sort of like, you know, a goal. And there are platforms that we uh, consider kind of cousins or competitors, maybe not competitors, but also other participants in this world of equity crowdfunding in real estate who are open to non-accredited investors. And I applaud what they're doing. So I have to be an individual accredited
1: investor, which just basically what? means that I have to, you know, be, be kind of savvy enough and have enough assets that I can that I can make a uh, uh, an investment that the SEC may deem to be slightly riskier than sticking my money in a savings account. That's uh, right. But you said the average check size is $50,000, which is pretty low. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, that's kind of one of the really exciting things about... Um, platforms like CrowdStreet is that you're kind of bringing interesting investment opportunities, in this case, commercial real estate, to people who, you know, historically haven't really been able to participate in that asset class because, you know, I mean, these days if you want to simply get into commercial real estate yourself, it's probably, you know, a million dollar minimum entry fee to get into it. And so the fact that with CrowdStreet platforms like this, somebody for 50 or 100 grand can uh, could get into this asset class. I think it's pretty exciting.
0: It, it's a democratization play. You right. know, I mean, we've got tens of thousands. There, there there, are about 14 million accredited investors in the United States, there right? So most of them ha- didn't have uh, access. And if they had access, it was kind of like the people they knew, right? I mean, you might have somebody in the Bay Area who does some real estate deals and you're like, oh, wow, I know that, you know, somebody's developing a shopping center or a warehouse sure. or we sure. built in my neighborhood. uh. Well, yeah, one person at that point, right? If you're fortunate. And we've got access to hundreds of the best real estate um, development firms and and ownership firms across the country. And the crowdfunding platform is highly curated. And so every single sponsor, that's what we call it, like the, the real estate firm that you see on there, you know, they pass a rigorous background screening and so exactly. forth. We've confirmed that their track record is what they say it is. Often they're at like a decade or more of experience um, and hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of, of, of experience. And, the, and that's how we balance our risk as a platform. It's like, it's difficult for real estate companies to actually get accepted. The bar is very, very high and it's a highly curated marketplace. And then each individual deal is also looked at on its own you know, accord. And, and those offerings that, that we approve by our CIO, those are the ones that individuals see. So um, that's, the, the, that's the, the, the opportunity for individuals is to become a member of the CrowdStreet community. And every week there's like two or three deals that they can consider, right um whether or not it fits their investment criteria or not a lot of a lot of people join the crowdtree community just to learn about investing in real estate before they they decide that they're ready and that's a natural sort of you know onboarding experience that investors have they're like they tiptoe in they stick around for a little while they see the type of sponsors and deals they read our educational materials they watch all the webinars they look at the financial models and so forth. And so for students in Stanford, for example, um, you know we have a university partner program and students love it oh. because different what they can than what they can pick up on their textbook. It is real world investment analysis and presentation and it's it's because it's general solicitation, it's all out there. It's all it's publicly available, which is completely different than what they um, what we as a society were able to get. Pre Crowdstreet, pre Jobs Act, so that alone is is a big benefit to educate you know those who are interested in, in investing about investing in in private real estate. So
1: you had this wild ass idea. You stayed up until two in the morning uh, working on it. You bought a bunch of domain names, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know you kept pushing it forward. You kind of built the MVP, added out there, did a couple of listings. Was there a moment when all of a sudden you were like, you know, holy shit, I think this is actually going to work?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> there was the no shit moment. And <laughs> <laughs> so it, it came probably nine months after starting the business, maybe around and I, nine to twelve months. I started to to realize like this is a huge idea. I have some technology experience. Right? I had the five years of the first five years of my career, and I always stayed close to tech, but I'm like. I don't code, you know, yeah. and then you know it, it's a national online platform potentially with international impact. And I started to realize like this is huge potential, very exciting, but also very scary. The other thing that that was part of that oh shit moment, Brett, was the fact that we are in a regulated environment. Right. Um, real right. estate is regulated as well. Yeah. But, right. 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 You know, it's it's a it's it's a I don't know for me it was it's a it was at that time uh, real estate more acceptable sort of you know regulated uh, environment whereas whereas Wall Street regulation Shinra and the SEC um, you know the licenses that are required there you know is a very different and higher bar much more serious and um, and and we take it very very seriously at Crowd Street uh, and those those were the moments where I was like wow like. You know, the great financial crisis did have a bunch of litigation around partnerships that broke up and it was too much debt in the system and, you know, debt caused a lot of uh, properties to go into default partnerships split up. You know, when people are losing money, they tend to, um, <laughs> you know, friendships break up at the... <laughs> yep. And so I had witnessed a lot of that. Now, that was kind of like one of the, the moments I was like, am I able to accept the risks of building this, what I otherwise what I generally believed is like a good thing for society. Again, like I think about did we, are we strengthening society by, you know, decentralizing finance uh, through, you know, real estate? I think we are, <laughs> right? I, I put also our ambitious in line with other very, very important things like curing cancer and I think we're way, way lower than that. <laughs> I don't think we'll, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> Uh, I think what we do is uh, is a form of impact investing. Good. We have mm-hmm. DEI and ESG initiatives and goals that we achieved to set. We have invest in your community. Yeah, you know, we have participated in a lot of rehabilitation and and like low income housing and things like that. So yeah. all those things, you know, are very very good. And I, I feel like Crowtrick is a force for good. And but at that time, it was that oh shit moment that I was like. I can't do this alone, and I, I don't know if I fully understand the risk of entering the securities business. Well, I cured the first one by by bearing um, for, very, very fortunate that I was Went out looking for a co-founder, and then uh, Dino Vendetti, who was one of the early uh, you know mentors of CrowdStreet, and um, introduced me to Torstein, and it was you know, it was a good match. And I, it felt like the good match the first time we, we wound up working together about 45, 60 days after we met and we are still partners today. Uh, so it was a, it is a good match. It's, that was almost a decade ago now. Yeah. So very much um, pleased with, with that. And it was one of those things that, you know, worked out really well, uh, fortunately. And um, yeah, well, I, got through the, I got through that moment, Brett. I, I sort of said, all right, I'm gonna go for it. And I'm gonna continue you know, and if it doesn't work out, then I could always go back to what I was doing or do something else. But you know, it was accepting of that risk. And last comment on this is that you know, for the for the founders or aspiring founders on the call, you will be warned. You should be warned. Uh, if you not already have been warned or read about this, is that you know, uh, it's 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 a serious undertaking to start your own yeah. business. Yeah, I was, I got this. You know, I can yeah. handle it. I know how to work hard and, you know, I, I think I can handle this, you know, I'm up for it. But it's 10 years later, I look back, I was like, wow, it has been uh, a fun journey, but it, uh, an incredible sacrifice, uh, which, you know, it's it, it'll all be worth it. And it is, it has been worth it, but um, boy, it's, it's a serious uh, journey. So mo- most startups begin as a side project, right? That's kind of
1: where most startups Began as a side project. And then, Uh you know, people often ask me, um, you know, how how do I know when it's time to, you know, quit my day job and go all in on my my startup idea? And, you know, I always refuse to answer that question because, um, (laughs) you know, everybody's life situation is a little different and everybody's risk tolerance is a little different. Uh, But the one thing I do tell people is that uh, side projects never achieve escape velocity that, yep. you know, for something to take off, you know, somebody's going to have to be all in on it. Um, and so I think, you know, I think the, for you, I remember, mean, I, I remember talking to you back back in the early days of crowd street and you had, you had young kids at the time, um, yes. you know, and, and a very successful career in, in, in commercial real estate. And, right. um, you know, at a time in life when you're married and have young kids, that's not a time in life when you want to take big risks. Um, and, you know, and so you were trying to decide, uh, you know, whether to go all in on this CrowdStreet idea or not. And sounds like part of the solution in your case was finding an uh, finding an awesome co founder.
0: Yes, that helped. And and thank you for for you know uh, bringing this up because I think it's really important for founders to you know decide how much they're willing to risk. Yeah. You know, for me, it wasn't nights and weekend gig. Yeah. I, and then it became nights, weekends, and a quarter of my time during the week. Right, 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 right. And then I realized I was working and much more excited about Crowd Street than what I was actually my, my former day job, which was a great, great company mm-hmm. and still is a great company. And right. my partners, they were very supportive at that time. But I was the president of, of a, a successful commercial real estate firm. And I, over that period of a year and a half or so, you Know and I kept my partners informed and I let them know I was working on this and they were supportive. And then I said, I need to let go of the president's job because it's too much for me. I'm this, this is starting to get some traction. And then, um, we took on a few some angel money, and that was really a moment where I was like, if I'm going to take this money and I'm going to, I'm going to commit and, um, we're going to, and then we signed. And then another moment, which was like full on commitment where I was like, I'm going to stop working because even after that, like, I, I lingered in some of the I was making money in my day job. Sure. I wasn't making money yet with crowdship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard it's to it's hard to walk away from good income. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Yep. It was. Yep. and they yep. were complementary too. I was yeah. I was I was actually expanding my commercial real estate business into a customer set and profile that that was more in line with crowd which I was up leveling my day job, yeah, cool. you know, uh opportunities. By speaking with some of the better real estate companies on the West Coast, for example, and I, I'm from the East Coast, so I was I was all over the place. In fact, and um, thanks to like the teachings of Eric Reese and yeah. and, um, and and some of the other you know professors. Steve, Steve at, Blank. At, yep. Yeah, Steve Blank. Yep. Thank you. I was like, oh my gosh, it's yep. it's Steve Steve Blank and Eric yep. Reese. Like their their teachings was just like interview as many people as you can. Right. Uh, before you take this right. leap. right. Uh, and, you know, because you're not going right. to, you're not going to know. Um, and people were willing to share that is ideas with you. And so I got a lot of people called, you know, said it was a dumb idea. It was a crazy idea. But I had more people who were like, it sounds amazing if you could pull it off. Uh-huh. It's a big idea. And it sounds, I don't know, it sounds like a long shot, but hey, if anyone could do it, you could do it.
1: You know, so Steve, so Steve Blake says that before you do product development, you should do customer development, meaning that, you know, make sure you spend a whole lot of time out there talking to customers, understanding customer needs, understanding the problems the customers have, uh, and then develop a product that meets those real world needs of customers instead of the way in which it's, we've all seen it done wrong sometimes of people building what they think is an awesome product only to find out afterwards that customers don't care about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, and the you know, and the whole goal. I mean, I teach you know when, when I teach at Stanford, I teach Steve Blank and uh, Eric Reese kind of methodology, and a big part of that is this notion of product market fit, which is right. You need to get to a fit between what the market wants and what your product does, and that's um, so usually that means you know get kind of a minimum version of the product out there and iterate upon it over and over again until it aligns with what the market and with. Marketplaces, which is essentially what CrowdStreet is, it's a marketplace uh-huh. that's connecting buyers and sellers, right? Um, uh-huh. one of the things that's particularly difficult about marketplaces is, is you really need product market fit on both sides. So, uh-huh. so you kind of have twice the challenge in terms of getting to product market fit. So, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about that journey for CrowdStreet. In other words, you need to, you need to develop a product that both met the needs of, investors looking for real estate deals, deals to invest in, but also a product that met the needs of what you call sponsor. I think you can call them sponsors,
0: right? Yeah. They're the real estate companies. Yeah. Right,
1: right, right, right. Um, and so kind of along that way, were there moments when you suddenly realized, um, that some modification you needed to make, make to sure the product to make it better meet the needs of one side of the marketplace or the other.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, it was it was the lean startup methodology. <laughs> it was Steve Blank's. Yep. You know all the teachings of Steve Blank's. I have his book right back <laughs> here. Still. Yep. I have all of my you know uh, school of hard knocks because I, I don't yep. have a Stanford MBA as much as I think it's an amazing you know opportunity for those students who are able to you know so fortunate to to have that opportunity. But you know um, I learned um, I learned directly from you and Dino and some of the other you know teachers uh, at that at that time and thankfully you know, like the, the, the lean, um, business model canvas, business yep. model canvas an, another tool that, that we used and spent a ton of time in these workshops. And I, I spent a ton of time on my personal time, you know, developing this business plan, interviewing like crazy and, and, and iterating, you know, uh, that, that plan. Yeah. And you're right, because it's a marketplace, we have two sides to satisfy and, uh, there's, you know, what, what, what's more important, you know, was a question is like, is it more important to cert, you know, make investors happy or is it more important to make sponsors happy? Or who's your primary customer a yeah. Marketplace? Right. And we decided through trial and error that the investor was our primary customer. And we developed a mantra early on is like, do what's best for the investor yeah. always. Always do what's best for the investor. And if you, and if we, we decided that if, if, so this was, this was like one of those things that like we learned over time, it didn't, didn't take us actually, I don't know, two years of debate, heavy debates, like finally it's like no question that the investors are primary customer, our sponsors and a very important secondary necessary customer. And the thesis was that if we do what's right for the investors, they'll show up uh, they'll participate and they'll tell their friends and more investors, we have, then the more sponsors will be interested in sure. the value proposition, right? Because we'll so be if, a- you have, if you have a critical mass, critical mass of investors on board, then the sponsors are going to come, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Because why are why are real estate companies showing up? They're showing up to raise capital for mm-hmm. their projects, and mm-hmm. that requires the investors, right. you know. Right. So. Um, yeah, there was, there was so much learning and, and so much evolution over time and another moment to, to just kind of, um, give you an example. So we went to market and we launched this Crowdstreet marketplace and we're still calling all of these. We're calling everyone, both investors and trying to get them to, are you, are you interested in building a real estate portfolio? Please join Crowdstreet and, you know, learn and if you like, then you can start investing. And it was the cold start problem in marketplaces. We started out zeroes. Start right? Got mm-hmm. a couple of investors. We, we mm-hmm. primed mm-hmm. the pump before we actually launched commercially. We had about 1,200 people registered on a landing page that we had at the time. Coming soon, CrowdStreet. Uh, 1,200 people joined up for that. And then we launched our first deal and we funded it $1.6 million. So it was a success and it was very manual. There was not a ton of tech behind it. The MVP yep. did its job. Yep, wow. yep. And yep. um and then and then we kept getting a couple more investors, and it was like weeks before we had a second deal. And then so we were out of balance, you know, and we still are actually marketplaces are constantly kind of they're rarely yep. perfectly balanced. Right. Um, right. and but one of the things that we learned, Brett, is by calling on these real estate companies and educating them about the ability to raise capital online and these portals oh, and, and of course, leading teaching them and leading them to Street. Yes, yes. I'm a big fan of what they call commercial teaching uh, yes, yes. as a as a means to build a business. And a lot of them said, "Hey, I think it's interesting, but I'm a little cautious about putting my brand on that new marketplace, that new thing." You know yes. what I what I do like is your your technology, and can can I like license your technology, yes. put it on my yes. website? Mm-hmm. And so we actually launched a SaaS delivery model, a Good. subscription-based SaaS model. A one year, yep. we launched the crowdstreet marketplace. We built that. We um, over five or six years, we built that. We had 175 customers, and we we actually sold that business. We exited that business not that long ago. We sold it to our partner uh, because oh. we we decided. In 2019-ish, that we wanted to focus uh, exclusively on the crowdring marketplace. For us, that was the bigger business, even though that SaaS business is is also you know a good one.
1: So, Darren, you just said kind of three things in the last five minutes that I want to highlight because they're all three things that I often rant about to uh, to my students and to uh, and to new startup founders. So, one thing is you talked about how you you just had a landing page up and you got 1,200 signups. And you know, and I'm always always tell people, you know, just get a landing page up, say coming soon, take email signups, drive some traffic to it, because you'll learn a lot in the process, uh, as well as kind of getting those early signups, uh, and then those early signups people you could reach out to and talk to, interview, etc. So I love the fact that you talk about how it started. It worked just just for the landing page. You know, yeah. in these in these days, of course, you can you can build a landing page in about ten minutes. Right. Uh, so Mm -hmm. why the hell, why the hell wouldn't you do that long, long before you have an actual product, you know, get a landing page out there. And then you also talked about how at first it was, it was a manual process. Um, and this is what I like to call the, uh, the man behind the curtain MVP. In other words, uh, you know, to the, to the user, it, you know, appears as it, God, look at this, I, I uploaded my stuff and it got done. Um, and they don't need to know that it's actually a man behind the curtain doing, doing it all manually. <laughs> right. Right. Because, you know, again, the whole point here is to get early customers to learn from early customers, et cetera. And the man behind the curtain MVP works just fine to start with. Um, and then, um, shoot, now I lost my fan of thought, Derek, what was the third, what was the third
0: point you made? I'll add something while i i up you, the Perfect. man behind the curtain. Then there's another late night story here. And there were many late nights, but the day we launched our first deal on the Croucher Marketplace, I remember I didn't leave the office until like three in the morning. I was emailing people. Have you, we launched the deal. Right. I knew you were talking about as like those 1200 people plus all my friends and family, anybody who like encouraged me to launch the business. I was literally like, I didn't send out like an email campaign that went to 10,000 people. I was writing personal emails until like hey. 2 or 3 in the morning. I remember leading that night being like, oh man, I hope this works. You know, this is, this, but it is, I, I you know, we were the mentor and I, and, and, a, and a small crew of people. Um, Steve Drew was on the team at that time. So we had, we had a very small and nimble crew, but we were doing what it took. It's
1: um, awesome. Yes. Now I've, now I've remembered the third thing I wanted to, uh, grab a hold of that you said you. So, um, uh, early on in a venture's history, you kind of have to be opportunistic. In other words, any business that comes along, you got to take it because you need, you need any business you can get, but to win in the long run, you need to be selective and focus just on the business that's aligned with strategically. You want to go <laughs> So your story about how you did the white label SAS. Uh, deal because you needed to be opportunistic and take it. Uh, But you realized at some point along the line that, you know, white label SaaS was not the business you wanted to be in. And so you sold that off so that you could focus on the core Street product. I think that's a really great, great point.
0: Yeah. And it paid the bills, Brett. It was actually, it it was a product that was in demand. So we were listening to the customers. They were asking for it. It was like, there's something here. And luckily, we had enough tech DNA, and we had built the architecture of, of the platform that we could have a multi-instance environment. We were able to set up all these different, you know, right. private portals on all these different websites, and you know, we had a. We thought that that would eventually bring a lot more deals to the crossery marketplace. Is it turns out that that assumption didn't turn out to be as true as we thought. It was somewhat true, right. um, so we wound up exiting that business over time. But it was for that period. It, it did help us. Um, it helped us advance the development of, of the Croucher marketplace. It helped pay the bills and reinvest that that capital and back into the business. And we, we've been, um, one of the things that, that I think we've been complimented on so many times is the efficiency, uh, the capital efficiency with which we built this business. Um, uh, we haven't raised all that much venture capital. We've raised four rounds of venture capital. Um, but we've used... For a total, for total of... Oh, we're at about 60 million. 60 million. 60. Yeah, 60 yeah. So million.
1: That's, yeah. That's rel. that's yeah. That's relatively capital efficient to end up, uh, where you are today. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I see. Um, well, Darren, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'll let you get back. Cause I know that, you know, I've, so I've been to Bend, Oregon, so I know that you probably have a very busy day, um, skiing, mountain biking, maybe a little trail running all that kind of stuff. Tough. Um, but before I let you go, um, any particular kind of words of advice, you know, the for a young entrepreneur starting out today um, with the 10 years of wisdom that you now have? <laughs> but, uh, what advice would you pass on to a new entrepreneur today?
0: You know, I, th- I think it's, yeah, entrepreneurship is an incredible journey. And, uh, you know, I think so those of you who are, you know, trying to decide if entrepreneurship is good for you, like, I started out the first time. Sometimes it comes naturally, right? It's like the curiosity, you know. The the some of the some of the best entrepreneurs are the most curious, right? Sure, so if for you sure. Find yourself to be really curious about entrepreneurship. Lean into that, right? Yeah. Um. I I studied entrepreneurship and in finance and marketing, and entrepreneurship was a new major at the time, uh, in the mid '90s, and I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. Starting. <laughs> your- <laughs> yeah, yeah. You thought you were going to be Steve Jobs. Yeah, you know, (laughs) Uh, someone, and and I just I just thought it was so interesting. I would I would encourage uh, all your students and all listeners of the podcast today to just really lean into that. It's like just gobble up as much information as you can. Start writing down different business plans, right? The one-page business plan is another tool. We talked about the business model canvas. The one-page business plan was just a nice exercise for me in the early days. It's like, then you get to test the thesis. By the way, I had like four or five other business plans. I was going to do solar financing. I was going to (laughs) do industrial (laughs) real estate, distress real estate fund. Um, I was going to do all sorts of stuff. I was going to do like coffee drive throughs You know, I mean, I discovered, I was just trying to discover a lot of different things so I would encourage listeners to just, you know, there's so much information out there. We've talked about some of the materials that, that Brett teaches at Stanford. Um, and those are the best uh, 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 materials that you can study. But those books are available, right? Pick up okay. those books sure. and you start reading them and crunching them. Um, so that, that's really the, the, the best way to get going. And then, you know, you, you will know if it's time to go or not. And the beautiful thing about Silicon Valley culture, the beautiful thing about capitalism in America, is that you know it, it's okay to fail. You nobody wants to fail, but if you do fail, you're you're smarter for it, you're better for it. You yeah. know the VC culture doesn't frown on. It's like okay, well at least you went for it, yeah. right? Um, but but have a high bar, right? At the same time, like hold yourself accountable to a high bar Damn. because you don't want to flit around and waste energy. That opportunity cost is real. But Beautiful. when you think you're on to something, go for it and uh, and hopefully you'll, you'll be very happy that you did.
1: Nice. Perfect advice. Thanks for your time, Darren. Really appreciate it. All
0: right, Brad. Thanks for having me. This has been the Fourthly Podcast. If you've liked what you've heard, I'd really
1: appreciate it if you could spare a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Your support truly makes a difference. You can find out more at fourthly.com. Until next time, I'm Brett Waters. Thanks so much for listening.